Well, today we're going to continue in our series called Runaway Love. We're looking at uh, one of the most famous teachings of Jesus. It's often referred to as the prodigal of the, uh, or the parable of the prodigal son. But, but one of the things that we're finding as we explore this text, which is in Luke chapter 15, is that the focus is not so much on the son that runs away. It's also not so much on the son that stayed behind. The focus predominantly is on the father and how he responds to both of these sons. It is a masterful teaching. Uh, Jesus is an awesome teacher. But this particular uh, uh, passage of Scripture has been considered by uh, many to be the peak of his parables, so to speak. Uh, And I think that you'll see why as we engage with this study today. Uh, We're going to be taking a look today at the second son, the son who stayed behind, the son who didn't run away. Uh, And then next week we will uh, look at the character of the father and how he responds to these two sons. Uh, But for today, what I'd like for us to do is to hear this parable read out loud. And so uh, if you have your Bibles with you, I'd encourage you, maybe close them just for a moment. We're going to open them back up. We're going to go back into the text and kind of look at uh, the text line by line. But just for right now, just for this first part, I'm going to read the parable out loud. I'm going to read the text out loud. And and one of the reasons why we're going to engage in it uh, just by listening is because parables especially, but much of Scripture was designed uh, not primarily to be read, but to be heard or listened to in the context of community. Uh, And when we listen to the scripture read, it it impacts our imagination in a different way than perhaps in reading. Not that there's anything wrong with reading, but we want our imagination to come alive just as Jesus uh, intended when he gave this parable. So I'm going to read it. Uh, We'll do the entirety of the parable. Uh, Before I start reading, though, I just want to remind us of the context. The context here is that Jesus is eating a meal with a bunch of what the elite would have called the undesirables. Uh, You find at the opening of chapter 15 that Jesus is eating with and by eating with them, showing that they are his type of people, he's eating with uh, two groups of people, tax collectors and sinners. Now, tax collectors, it carries much of the same Uh, emotional weight as the phrase does today. Do you enjoy dining with tax collectors? You don't have to answer that. By the way, we do have tax collectors in the church, so be careful. Uh, But sinners is kind of a junk drawer category simply to refer to people who, if you looked at their life, they could never be considered righteous or just or godly. And so here's Jesus eating with these two groups of people, and the religious elite, to the religious power brokers, and by the way, uh, kind of their religious political uh, entities because they also uh, control uh, different aspects of the, uh, the political infrastructure in Jerusalem. They, they see Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners and they complain about it. They're aghast. They can't believe that Jesus, this masterful rabbi, would dine with such scum. You with me so far? And so it's in the context of this setting that Jesus gives the parable of the prodigal son. He gives two parables of the lost, uh, the lost sheep, the lost coin prior to this. But here now, the climax of uh, chapter 15, he says this. A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. 
And so he, the father, distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the young son gathered together all he had had, and he traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck the country, and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food, and here I am dying of hunger? I will get up. I will go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. And so he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it. And let us celebrate with a feast, because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and now he is found. And so they began to celebrate. Now, his older son was in the field. As he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because of him, because he has him back safe and sound. And then he, the older brother, became angry, and he didn't want to go in. And so his father came out, and he pleaded with him. But he, the son, replied to his father, look, I have been slaving many years for you, and I have never disobeyed your orders, and yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Son, he said to him, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. This is the word of the Lord. You'll notice in this text, two sons and one father. And we notice that the focus is not predominantly on either of the two sons, but the focus is on the father's response to these two sons. And so as we continue in this study, I want to encourage you to think about this question. How do you envision your relationship with God? 
How do you envision your relationship with God? If you were to put yourself in one of the shoes of one of these two sons, maybe a son or a daughter, how do you view your relationship with God? There are some of us who more closely associate with the runaway, the one who, in insulting fashion, said to his father, Father, I want what's coming to me. Give me all of the assets that are going to come to me when you die. I'm going to take it and I'm going to go. And in rebellion, turned, turned from his father and went his own way. Now, in American religion, in the West, the prodigal is usually what we think about, or the runaway is usually what we conjure up in our minds when we think about someone who is far from God. Y'all with me? When we think about someone who's not religious, someone who's antagonistic against God, someone who's far from God, usually we have in our minds someone who is running away from God. I don't want anything to do with you, God. But I want you to see in this text, and I think Jesus wants us to see, that there are actually two ways to be far from God. Although proximity may be different, the relational distance can be the same. Watch this. This is so good. Oh, Jesus is so smart. Okay, so now his older son, right? So we're cutting to the middle of the parable. You guys with me so far? We're in the middle, right? We're jumping in the middle. We, if you guys want to know more about the prodigal son, take a look on, the, uh, on our website, dsbc.church. You can check out last week's. But this week, we're looking at the older brother. Now his older son. So this is the father's older son, right? Now his older son was in the field. Where was he? In the field. As he came near the house, right? So you get this, you, you get this in your minds that he's out. What's, what do you think he's doing in the field? He's probably working. You think he's working hard? Maybe, right? Working hard or hardly working. Yuck, 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 they often say. <laughs> right? So he's out in the field, and he's coming near to the house. And what does he hear? You guys tell me. Music and dancing, right? What, when, when, you're out, when you're out working so hard... You know, you're 15 minutes into mowing the lawn, right? You're just sweating because it's 180, and you're the idiot who slept in. It was like, I'll wait till 1 p.m. to mow my lawn in the middle of summer. I might be projecting onto you my own sins. Well, I don't know, right? And you hear people inside the house, those people, your family, you hear those people having a good time. How do you usually feel? Not good. You're like, hey. Why aren't you out here with me? <laughs> right? He heard music and dancing. And so he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. Your what? Your brother's here. Okay, I want you just to zoom in for a minute. What is the relationship of this individual to the person who came back home? He is his brother. He is his brother. And I want you to see, I want you just to zoom in here and look at the posture of this older brother, OB as we like to call him. I want you to see the posture of the older brother, not only towards his brother, but towards his father as well. Okay, There's, Jesus is such a masterful teacher. If we zoom too quickly through this, we're going to miss it. Okay? So let's watch together. Your brother is here, the servant tells him. And your father, right, brother and father, your father has done what? Slaughtered the fattened calf. Why did he slaughter the fattened calf? Because the brother came back what? Safe and sound. 
the assumption at this point, the assumption is, is that the older brother is going to go, yippee, right? The, the working assumption is if this is a loving older brother, the older brother is going to be like, awesome, I can't wait to go to the party. I am so thrilled that my younger brother has rejoined the family. I just, I'm so delighted. Is that what happens? Then he became angry. Gasp. Okay, we're going to do it one more time. I felt like you guys did a great job with that gasp, but I think you could do a little better. Ready? Then the older brother, he became angry. I know, right? Like, your brother just came back and you're angry? Holmes, what are we doing? Right? And he did not want to go in. Y'all ever seen this? Y'all ever been around kids? Y'all ever been a kid? One of the temptations that we have as children, teenagers, and adults is when somebody else is having a good time, if it's not the way that we want it to be, sometimes we dig our heels in and we cross our arms and we go, <laughs> stupid, that party's dumb. Right? You guys think I'm blowing this out of proportion? Watch what happens next. But he replied to it. Oh, excuse me. Then he became angry, we gasped, did not want to go in. Now, in, if, you were, if you were in episode two last week, you remember what was the father's response when the father saw the younger son a long way off coming towards him? What was the father's response? Rejoice. What did he do physically? He came out of the house, the assumption is, and what did he do? He ran to the son. What was the father's response to the younger son's return? He came out and went towards him. Do you see it? What is the father's response here? The father comes out. He's looking for his son, right? And he also comes out for the older brother. The father has not turned a blind eye to this older brother. You see? Father came out, and what did he do with him? Pleaded with him. But he replied, so this is the, the older brother, OB. OB replied to his father, look. <laughs> I'm guessing that that's how he said it. Look. I have been slaving. Notice the word slaving. Okay, what, how does the older brother imagine his relationship to his father to be? Right? He thinks, I've been slaving for you. I have been slaving how long? Many years. For whom? For you. And I have, now this might be hyperbole. I have never disobeyed your orders, except for that one time on Tuesday. I have never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me, notice how he thinks the relationship should work. I serve you and you owe me. Do you guys see this? Do you see this dynamic at work? The older brother assumes if I slave many years for you, if I do all the right things for you, if I behave all the right ways for you, if I never disobey for you, you owe me something. A goat in this particular case. I would wager to say that, there are, that many of us, at least in the West, have never prayed for a goat. 
Although many in uh, Africa, you've prayed for a goat, like a baby goat or a goat to eat. This one's to eat. Sorry to burst your bubble. What's he asking for? You've never rewarded me for all my good work, which I did for whom? You. Yet you never gave me a goat so that, now I want you to see, who's in the party? Right? Rewind just to the beginning of this portion, right? The older brother's outside. He hears the music and the feasting. Who's in the house partying? Everybody, right? So is dad inside the house partying? Is brother inside the house partying? Probably the other family members, right, and workers and things like that, they're all in the party, except for the older brother and maybe some of the servants, okay? So check this out. Who does, the, who does OB want to party with? Does he want to party with his dad? Okay. Does he want to party with his dad? Does he want to party with his younger brother? Who does he want to party with? His people. His crowd. He wants the resources and the goodies for his people with my friends. But when this son of yours, oh, <laughs> what? This, have you guys ever, so uh, if you've ever been around my wife and I, when, when her children are disbehave, misbehaving, <laughs> she has the audacity to say things to me like, this son of yours is mirroring back to us your besetting sins, Caleb. Have you guys ever heard that kind of language before? This, this son of yours, this daughter of yours, you guys seen this before? Okay, so notice what the older, the audacity of this older brother, right? The older brother says what? Not my brother, but what? This son of yours. This son of yours who has devoured your assets. Now, this, this next uh, phrase, we have not been introduced to it yet. In fact, it's likely that the older brother is making this up or... Uh, it's a slander. And I, I, I can't, I don't know that for certain that's actually my opinion because all we know up until this point is that the younger son just squandered the money. Those are the only, de- on, on loose living, on uh, uh, just being poor with money. That's all we know. But here now the older brother makes an assumption or a slander uh, who has devoured your assets with what? Prostitutes. <gasps> the gasping today, right? Has, devi- has devoured your assets with prostitutes. And you, do you see the accusatory tone? You slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Does this older brother know what it means to truly be a brother? What was the assumption? When we first started, the assumption was the brother was going to hear, your brother is lost and he's found again. The assumption is he's going to want to go into the party and celebrate. But what's the reality in the parable? He's angry. He doesn't want to go in. And now he is slandering and talking poorly about not only his younger brother, but also whom? The father. Do you, do you get a sense here that he thinks the dad is an idiot? Right? This son of yours <laughs> devoured your wealth with prostitutes. And you took the fattened calf and slaughtered it for him Dummy. What's your relationship with God like? When you envision your relationship with God, what's it like? How do you envision your relationship with God? Now, the Father's response is beautiful and convicting. So here we go. Got quiet when I used the convicting word, didn't it? 
Son, he said to him, you are what? Always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice. Wait, did it say we thought it was a good idea? We thought now's a good time. What type of language is this? This is very close to command or law language. He came back and what? We had to celebrate. It may be that parties are a spiritual discipline that we often ignore. We had to celebrate. Why? Because, now notice what the father does. Oh, this is so good. Notice what the father does. What's the older brother been doing? In relationship to his brother, he's been demeaning his younger brother, and he has, at this point in time, has the older brother taken uh, ownership, or has the older brother recognized the relationship he has with his younger brother? Has he recognized and appreciated the fact that they're brothers yet? He's been saying things like, your son, this son of yours. Did you see it? Look at what the father does. We had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours. Did you see how that is a mirror image of the older brothers, this son of yours? And the father's like, gotcha. (laughs) It's not this son of yours. It's this brother of yours. This brother of yours was what? dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's now found. Okay. Is this beautiful or what? Now here's the deal. For many of us, whether we're still trying to figure out who Jesus is or we've been following Jesus for a long time, Many of us, especially here in the West, we generally think of ourselves as the younger brother, and we generally think of all the jerks we know as the older brother. But I want to pump the brakes on that. I don't think that's the right way to receive this teaching. While many of us, I think, can say there was a season in my life, there's ongoing seasons in my life where I can associate with the older brother, one thing that uh, John Ortberg, who's a minister, says is one of the greatest temptations is to go from younger brother to older. In fact, one of the most difficult things in life is to make sure that in our turning from our rebellion from God turning as the younger brother did, we don't go and overstep and become the older brother. I want you to see something here. What was the relationship of the older brother's uh, heart to his father? Was it any more in sync than the son, than the prodigal son when he was in rebellion? Let me put it to you another way. Three weeks before this happened, how many of the sons were actively rebelling against their father in their heart? Both. Do you see it? And yet, the older brother goes to church every Sunday. He does all the right things. He's in all the right clubs. He votes just the right way. He listens to all the right music. He does all the things he's supposed to do in his mind so that he can please the Father. 
But what is the heart's intent? I do all the right things so that you give me a goat. I do all the right things. I'm out here slaving away, God, being a good moral person so that when I die, you owe me heaven. Oh, this is American religion. Uh, for, for most uh, relatively spiritual Americans, if you were to ask them, what does it mean to be a Christian? Many of them will say something to the tune of, live a good life, be a good person, so you get to go to heaven when you die. What's that? It's give me a goat, God. I did all the things. <laughs> you owe me. Do you see it? Three weeks before the parable happened, how many sons were in rebellion? Both. Although from the outside looking in, it only looks like one is far from the father. And yet both are. There can be, there is within us. And remember the context? Oh, this is so good. I mean, what a gotcha, right? Remember the context that Jesus gives this parable in? Where is he? He's at a table. With who? Tax collectors and sinners. Right? And then who shows up? The older brothers. Jesus is eating with a bunch of younger brothers and sisters, and who rolls into the party? The older brothers and sisters. And you know what they start doing? In, in Luke 15, 1 and 2, it says they start complaining. How can this man eat with tax collectors and sinners? Do you see what Jesus is doing here? He's showing us that there are two ways to be far from God, and one of them is to be close to church. The phrase, go to heaven when you die, is nowhere in the scripture. The point of following Jesus is not the goat. The point of a relationship with the Father is the Father. Right? For many of us, we want the party without the Father. But the end game, the thing that makes it a real party, is that you're in the presence of the Father. Do you see it? Right? So let's double down. As you think about your own relationship to other groups of people, who are the groups of people that you look at and say, I will not show up to a party for them? I don't want to be in a party with them. You see, we are all, every single one of us, tempted to self-justify, to say, I am on the good team. And for those of us that live in 2020 America, I could tell you that tribalism as a means to justify oneself is at an all-time high, at least in my lifetime. We are saying things like, I am, and then fill in some tribe, right? It could be a theological tribe. I am a Calvinist. I am an Arminian. And by the way, if you're not sure what those terms mean, don't worry, they're not in the Bible. I am a follower of fill-in favorite theologian or pastor. I read all their books. Oh, no, 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 I'm on this team. And there are some of us who maybe we don't articulate it this way, but our lifestyle shows this way that, you know, I'm in the middle class, unlike those people. <laughs> or I'm in the upper class, unlike those people. Or I am... Fill in your ethnicity. And I ain't going to be hanging out with those people. Or, 
if you want to get serious, fill in your political preference. I'm convinced. Now, you got to hold on to your hats, kids. You ready? I am convinced that, would, that this parable could have easily been told with the two brothers, one of them wearing a BLM T-shirt and the other wearing a MAGA T-shirt. The kingdom of God is a church with people with MAGA T-shirts and BLM T-shirts <laughs> clapping like crazy at the other's baptism. That's the kingdom of God. But the kingdoms of this world, they find all the different ways to put us into categories of us's and them's, and then they leverage our older brother tendencies to say, as long as I'm not like them, I'm okay. And boy, what an easy way to make money. And here's the, here's the thing, too. This insidious subdivisions of people has oftentimes, over the last 2,000 years, you see it all over the New Testament, has made, it way into, made its way into the local church, where local churches will subdivide themselves along ethnic, socioeconomic, financial, or political lines. Well, there's the this ethnicity church or the this ethnicity church. And if you vote this way, you definitely need to go to this church and definitely don't go to that church. But the kingdom of God is a party where everyone, including the people that everyone else tells you to hate, is invited in. The kingdom of God is a party where people who have nothing in common except for the shared father call each other brother and sister. Do you see it? The thing that brings us into unity, the reason that I can call you a brother or sister, just as the Father says, don't you see this brother of yours, the thing that binds me together with you is not my common or shared affinities with you. It's the finished work of Jesus Christ and his grace that binds us together. And boy, is that so frustrating. Because I've seen how some of y'all vote. You should talk to me. <laughs> and I've heard the kind of music y'all are listening to. What is Garth Brooks? What are we doing? <laughs> if it is only our ethnicity, our money, our political preferences, our favorite sports teams, our shared affinity for a certain preference of music, if that's the only thing that binds us together, then we are no different than the kingdoms of this world because that's what binds together the kingdoms of this world. But the kingdom of God is a party where everyone's invited and regardless of what hat we're wearing, we clap like crazy and celebrate like crazy because we know our identity is not primarily in our political preference or our musical style or our sports teams. It's 100% in Jesus. And so I don't have to rage when people call me names and say I'm not allowed in their club and say I'm not allowed in their group and say I'm not a real whatever the heck. I don't have to rage about that. I don't have to be worried about that. I have the love and affection of the king and creator of the universe who cares what the paupers think. And so we have the power force, the only power force that is capable of binding together different types of brothers and sisters. We're not trying to justify ourselves by these preferences or views. We're justified by Jesus and his grace. And so we can be in the same room. What is the power force that brings together the tax collectors, the sinners, the Pharisees, and the scribes? Who is the center of the table? Who is the MC of the party? 
Jesus. And if you and I make anybody else the MC of the party, we are in for great disappointment. It's Jesus that invites us to a common table. And so I want to just encourage you, and then I'm going to land the plane. When you are frustrated, disappointed, angry, saddened, or confused by something that another member of your church family says, I want you to know that's a feature, not a bug. Frustration, anger, disappointment, sadness, and confusion with what another Jesus follower in your church family says is not a bug, it's a feature. And it's likely that the spirit of the living God has bound together a bunch of misfits for the purposes of continually shaping us more and more into his image. And you know what that feels like when that happens? Discomfort, sadness, frustration, confusion, anger at what other people are saying. Can you believe what this person said? I mean, oh my gosh. If you ever find yourself saying, I can't, how could a Christian possibly believe this? Invite a Christian who believes that over for dinner, develop a relationship, and over the course of a few years through prayer and humility, you might come to a place of understanding. But if we simply relegate each other to inside the party and outside the party kind of people, simply based on our preferences or our views, will we ever grow? Jesus loves you so much. He invites you to the party And what can be oftentimes frustrating is he also invites the people that you don't like to the party. But I'd rather not be in any other party, would you? Jesus, we love you. We thank you. We know that you love us and you're powerful to shape us into a church of difference. A church that's just made up of all different types of people bound together by nothing more than your love and grace, made known to us through Jesus, your death, burial, and mighty resurrection. And so we give ourselves over to you. Jesus, this is your church. Would you help us moment by moment to know how it is that you're calling us to live, that we might be lights in the midst of darkness, that we might be a people who reflect your kingdom values, that we might reflect the party to those who are in the field, and that our doors would be wide open to invite everybody in. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Thank you all so much for being here. I hope you'll join us next week as we continue in the study. Thank you.